Hi folks, uh, welcome back to On Call with Insignia, where we go on call with leaders innovating the future of Southeast Asia's internet and digital economy, <clears throat> or as we like to call it, ASEAN Innovation. Before we go on call, don't forget to follow our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to podcasts. And you can follow us for daily content for founders and investors on Twitter at InsigniaVC and Instagram at Insignia underscore VC. Now let's head into the call. So today we have with us a very esteemed guest. For the past few episodes, we've been having founders and investors on the show. And he's going to be our first guest who's more on the research side of things, but has had a really wide and, and deep scope in terms of looking at markets, looking at technology, and everything that's been happening at least in the last 30 years. So we have none other than Paul Schott. He's a veteran equity researcher in the financial services industry. He's also a government policy advisor and a prolific author. So for the past 30 years, he has worked in global equity or bond research in emerging markets. And more recently, he has been working with some of the largest sovereign, pension, mutual, and hedge funds globally as founder and editor of Schott Research. So they provide research on banks, financial technology, and the banking credit algorithms. So he's also authored three books on fintech and digitalization in China. The newest one was published just this year. So congratulations, Paul, on that one. The Digital Transformation of Property in Greater China, which we'll be talking about in, in this podcast. So he has also taught nearly two decades of uh, MBA and graduate programs from Tufts University to HKUSD to Zhejiang University in China. And is a regular source for publications like Wall Street, New York Times, Financial Times, and The Economist. He's also served as an advisor to financial institutions across Southeast Asia including the Thailand SEC, Indonesia's OJK, and Bank Indonesia. So we're very glad to have him here on the show. And now we continue our conversation, which we started in the previous episode. In spite of all the differences between China and the US, I think one similarity we're seeing is sort of clamp down on big tech on, on both sides of the Pacific. But with, with the US, all these like congressional hearings, for example, and then China, these big mm -hmm. swing actions towards Ant and uh, Tencent, for example. So given the stage that we are right now in Southeast Asia, as we have larger and larger companies and more consolidation, as you mentioned, what can regulators in the region learn from what is happening in China and the U.S.? Well, let me tell you what I think happened to Ant. When the BSN was being rolled out, all the major companies were very cooperative with BSN, which was based in Beijing, coming from basically the state council and the China Information you know, Service and a five-year program. And this is the state Everybody participated in that, including Ping On, including Tencent, including Huawei, including Baidu, everybody except Ant. Ant was going on its own way. And I think that was not welcome because Ant never joined the consortium. And I think people were like, oh, really? Well, are you going to try to challenge the five-year program? I think it was taken as an act of bad faith. And then mm -hmm. when you insult the PBOC, you're going to get it. And I think that's what's happening around the world is, please don't think you're a country or we will put you in your place. And so that's what happened to Ant. And I, I think the Democrats are probably more inclined to call Amazon and, and Facebook on the carpet and say, you are not a country, you are a company operating inside of a sovereign nation. And, and I think that's gonna have to come. But I think right now in Southeast Asia, I think that we are looking at a welcoming of national champions right now. We, we are in a national champion formation stage, which tends to be very healthy and, and very lucrative. When these national champions become lazy monopolies, that's way in the future, that's a problem because it's mm -hmm. very hard to tackle a lazy monopoly because they've paid everybody off and they give all these goodies. But I think we are in the early stages of aggressive, innovative national champions being formed, and which I think is very exciting. In mm -hmm. Indonesia, in Singapore, I think there's going to be a major, major consolidation in Malaysia. 
I think we're looking at national champions being formed in the Philippines and in Thailand and also in Vietnam. The banks have been surprisingly kind of bumbling here. They really haven't been with the program in terms of bolting on technologies to their platform. JP Morgan has done this very well with Consensus mm. and Quorum. JP Morgan is bolting stuff on. Uh, Goldman Sachs created uh, Marcus, the digital bank, from scratch. None of these Southeast Asian banks are doing any of this. This is what's been mind-boggling to me. They've just been sort of sitting there. And I, I'm really struck by that. Which is um, arguably I, good for the fintechs. Yeah, I think that's correct. But suddenly, if the regulator comes along and says, hey, look, you guys, you need to get with the program here. One of you mm -hmm. banks is going to have to swallow up one of these guys and really wake up. And so we'll have to see how that works out. But it's striking how governments have been, how do I want to say this? Governments and, and regulators have been sort of, hey, you banks, you should do something and we're not going to tell you what to do, but you better get cracking here. And by the way, look what's going on. And we're giving these licenses out to fintech companies. And don't you want to do anything? Do you want to call us? Here's our phone number. Right, right, right. Give us yeah. a call. And, and the banks aren't calling. There's a lot going on in the background there, but right. banks are just ultra conservative creatures that go very slowly. Do, do you think this approach to it is part of what you mentioned, this whole clamor around national tech champions that the government will tend to leave these incumbents and traditional players out of the party or not really support them as much? Yeah, I mean, you know what's funny? I'll tell you that there's a real big fight, you know, between the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department about what is the role of Facebook? What is the role of a company like Coinbase? Who's going to distribute this national currency dollar coin that we're going to roll out? How do we distribute this? Do we need it? The Federal Reserve is saying we need this desperately to compete with China. The Treasury Department says this is poison. It promotes terrorism and money laundering, and we don't want it because the Treasury Department wants to be able to fund the deficit by allowing people to buy bonds. And they think that crypto is a contaminant, that crypto is a deterrent to people buying U.S. government bonds to fund the deficit. And so there's a real big policy fight. And I think every country is having its own set of fights among and between the regulators about what's important. I'm telling you right now, the, the, the countries who are getting it right have a singular agency, the MAS, the PBOC. The singular super agency is what you need now. Otherwise, there's too many forms of technologies and, and different tracks, as we've talked about, InsurTech, FinTech, PropTech. There's different tracks here. And you need a centralized think tank policy and executive action entity that can move. And the PBOC has become basically a super agency. The MAS has become a super agency, and there's very few other countries that have gone down that route. But I think that's what the times call for. There's too much noise in the new formulation of regulatory structures, so you need a so, sort of a super agency to figure it out. Otherwise, you get bogged down in regulatory infighting. And so what does this mean for digital currencies in, in the next few years? Just like what you mentioned, all the, the countries like China with the PBOC that are very centralized have started in introducing these digital currencies. Do you think that China has it figured out already or what are still the gaps that have to be filled in terms of? Yeah, so, so the, yeah, so the country that's further ahead than anybody in the world by far is PBOC in China. And so the BSN is, I think, people... Don't talk enough about the BSN. You're talking about a, a regulatory cryptocurrency structure, which is the digital currency electronic payments, the DCEP, but it's going to run along the BSN. So think of the sovereign currency as you know, the railroad 
but you need the rails and the rails have to connect and you need train stations. And the train stations are the super apps because the super apps are what feeds into all the different areas of our lives, which is where we live, our small business, where we work, where's our family, what's going on with the receivables, what's happening with the inventories, where's my working capital. The biggest problem for an SME is the working capital. 80% of economic activity in Southeast Asia is small businesses. These small businesses are run from homes with 20, 30, 50, 100 employees. BSN is, is, is an all-purpose offering using smart contracts, cryptocurrencies, you know, basically anything can glue on to bsnbase.com. And as the PBOC coin rolls out, it's going to be rolled out along BSN. Nobody else has BSN right now. And the idea is this is going to be a challenge to the U.S. dollar, primarily because China is not interested in arbitrary sanctions of the U.S. government to basically block it from being able to use SWIFT, which is what happened to Russia. So all the Southeast Asian countries are going to have to get on board with BSN really quick. And Singapore has... How far you know, along do you see this happening? Well, the cryptocurrency was just launched last week. It's been testing for, for several months. They've been testing this stuff since 2015. That's six years. So if you're a Southeast Asian country and, and, and if you're an entrepreneur, you want to create a company that's going to be able to glue on to BSN in multi-purpose ways, including smart contracts, crypto and working capital and receivables. Link Logis is kind of the newest manifestation of that that was just listed last week in Hong Kong. So the game really isn't anymore about creating something new, but really finding the infrastructure that's already there and what's going to sort of drive the innovation ahead and, and riding on top of that. I, I think that's right. I, I think that all of these newfangled fintech things have already been burned on both sides. And I think there's a lot of disappointment. I, I think if you really want to get ahead, you want to be able to find out all the ways in which you can use crypto to trade and digitize assets with vast amounts of data through the property market. I think that's the next chapter. And, and that glues on to BSN really well, because you're looking at a quantum increase in what's going to be tokenizable, digitizable, and tradable. This includes physical property and intellectual property. And the reason why property will be such a, a great gateway for this is because of just how scalable it is from that point? I wouldn't say the word scalable. I wouldn't use the words economies of scale. I would just tell you that the largest asset class in the world is property. The property market is far, far larger than the equity market or the bond market. It's multiples larger than the, the crypto market. And it basically forms the foundation of every single bank. So the, the analogy I would use is all the people who were using paper, the whole world was based on paper 15 years ago. Think of the property market as a bunch of paper sitting around with giant 45-story high piles of paper that has not been digitized. Think about what that means when you digitize homes, smart cities, buildings, warehouses, and ports. All that world is all analog still. The property developers have been one of the worst ones to catch on to this digitization. It's quite funny because we, we, we just had a podcast with uh, one of our prop tech companies who's going into financing and collecting all of this data for financing. And, and we asked them, what, what is one of the bigger misconceptions about the property market in, in Indonesia where they are? And they were saying the misconception is that people think there's no more innovation left because they were saying like yeah. the first wave came with listings and all of that online marketplace. Yeah. But now they've, they've discovered that it's not just about 
property transactions. It's also about the money around it and the value that you can get from mortgages and all, and all of that. So the advice for founders is to look at the paper, <laughs> to use your analogy. Find out something that people still use that is all about paper. And those are the ones that are next to get their heads chopped off by the marketplace. And I guess we come full circle with that. To wrap things off, we've had a very serious conversation these past few minutes, but I'd like to be a little bit more lighthearted as we end this. So we're going to a rapid fire round. Are you ready, Paul? Yes. All right. So if you could be in the shoes of any leader or CEO for a day, who would it be? I think one of the guys who just keeps on getting it right over and over and over again. I would like to spend a week with Peter Ma at Ping On. What's your favorite book, apart from the ones you've written? The books I'm reading right now, Kinzer, one mm-hmm. of the great new historians, ex-New York Times, and a Pulitzer Prize winner, mm-hmm. great, great author. And some of his books called The Brothers, about the Dulles Brothers, about mm-hmm. overthrow, about the sort of abuses of the U.S. political military regimes around the world to overthrow governments that were just not doing things that were kosher for their the private companies that basically ran the government in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And I think we're seeing a lot of that right now. And I think people are tired of that treatment by the U.S. government and, and its abuse of its hegemonic powers. What's the top misconception people have about China tech? That it's this top-down monolithic thing that just gets money poured into it by the government and the military. The, the five-year programs are very bottom-up. And and there's a tremendous amount of input from the private sector. The five-year programs are why and when. And then the private sector is like, okay, what do we do with this? The five-year plans are baked in the cake. They don't change. And it gives a huge amount of signals to the private sector to create these things. Governments around the region should be thinking more about giving better signals to the private sector. And then what's the top misconception people have about distributed ledger technologies like blockchain or or tokenization? Yeah, like I said, I I think that people, they're applying modern monetary theory to Bitcoin and saying it's not a medium of exchange, it's not a, a store of value. That is just such nonsense. The crypto world is a world of smart contracts and programmability. And this Mm -hmm. is the massive thing people miss about the blockchain rollout of BSN. It's not just for the digital coin of the central bank. It's not for crypto coin. It's for multiple uses. There's like 15 different uses of BSN, and it's going to cause the cost of doing business with China to collapse. It's really easy to miss the big picture, I guess, when all the talks about digital currencies. Something a little bit lighter. What's your favorite item at home? I know we've been spending a lot of time at home these days. Favorite item at home has been my iPad because I like to read books. And Mm -hmm. it's been so awful, this COVID lockdown. I've just been reading a tremendous amount of books. And so my Kindle is my best friend right now. And my dog, my doggy, who I run with every day. I'm running with my dog every GD day, you know. So that's something I do with my dog every day. So my dog keeps me sane. Right. That's, that's great to know. I, I was just about to ask you, what do you do to de-stress? And I guess running with your dog? Or running every else? day. I, I do morning meditation, which is vital for me. I think we need a lot of mental hygiene right now because I think there's a very high degree of mental health stress and anxiety and depression in our community. Mm-hmm. And no one's talking about it. Right, I think right. mental health is the number one issue right now, much more so than productivity. I think right. we, we really need to pay attention to each other's mental health, to the mental health of, of employees, make sure everybody's okay and talk about this stuff very frequently because we're all going through long periods of isolation, an absence of feedback, an absence mm-hmm. of whether right. we're doing good or bad, being alone. And a lot of us are being depressed and questioning the future. We're coming out of a very traumatic time of a lot of death. A lot of people have PTSD without really mm-hmm. knowing it. We need to focus on mental health for everybody. 
Definitely agree. And you've been in Singapore for quite some time already. What's your favorite Southeast Asian delicacy? Oh, there's nothing better. The, a Thai food is the best food in the world. Is there a specific dish? Yes. Minced pork in lettuce cups. Ooh, okay. <laughs> wow. it, so, 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 like the, so, so the lettuce is, is sort of like the plate where they, they put the meat in? Yeah, like yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Very <laughs> spicy, very spicy. Oh, okay. You, so you really like spicy food then? Yeah. And then finally, one more thing. You've been working a lot in this industry for many years and you're still very energetic about pushing things forward and thinking about what's next the years ahead from what's happening now what keeps you energized all the time i think we have to maintain a sense of gratitude for each day and i have seven interns right now mm. all over the world that i've met only on zoom oh, wow. and you know we, we, I, I always tell everybody this is a great adventure don't be discouraged learn always look at an opportunity to learn i've always thought that's important you know my mom taught me that she was a teacher and so I, I've been teaching in, in business schools for 20 years. I've written six books. I do constant research for my clients. I do a lot of consulting work. And so you always want to be learning. I always want to be learning something new. I think that's critically important. On that note, it's been such a pleasure learning from you as well. And we've touched on a lot of different topics from blockchain to regulation to the future of fintech, Southeast Asia tech ecosystem and all of these things. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have something to take away from at least one of these questions that we've covered uh, in this conversation. So thank you so much, Paul, for coming on the show. You're welcome. Um, and, and, and buy my book and it's Digital Transformation of Property in Greater China. It has other big companies, the mid-sized companies and like 10 small companies that we think are very interesting in the book that are coming out of China that are doing right. fascinating stuff. I think, by the way, very importantly, I think people are going to start copying what's going on in China and bringing it down to Southeast Asia. Pay attention mm. to the prop tech companies and what's going on in China because that's going to be exported to Southeast Asia. Definitely a great note to leave uh, our listeners on. Yeah, so definitely check out Paul's book. Amazon, worldscientific.com. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Grab a copy right now and we'll leave a link in the description for our listeners in case you want to check it out. And yeah, thanks again, Paul, for coming on the show. Okay, you're so welcome. It's great to be here. And and I I love Yingguan. He's such a great guy too. He's always learning. Stay on the line with us for more conversations with our founders and investors in the region. Until our next call, I am Paolo Aquino and this has been On Call with Insignia Ventures. 